Welcome back to the Better Man, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 101 episode, the 101st episode here with Chaz Pippett, owner, founder of Baseball Rebellion. I created the Baseball Rebellion Hidden Mythology. Um, Chaz, Coach Pippett, uh, he's a master of 25,000 one-on-one lessons. Um, he has from you know draft picks down to travel ball, uh, youth, and tons of scholarship, high-level college baseball players. Uh, like he said in the episode, you'll hear it. He talks. Um, they work pretty openly with with Duke, um, but he has even just remotely, you know, working with top-level high school college professional athletes all around the country. Um, he's also incorporated, invented four products, four training products, the Launch Ankle Tee, the Drive Developer, the, the Rebels Rack, the Rack Bat, as well as the Bat Drag Buster. Actually, that's five, not four. Um, and um, they're internationally sold to all states as well as uh, to other countries as well. But um, not just doing lessons, he's also uh, creating content. You know, he writes a good bit as well as he is the author of Learn the Turn. So he has written a book called Learn the Turn, if you haven't checked it out. Um, check it out. As he goes, he talks about, this is really about rotational skills. And he dives into a lot of that uh, through the episode and just talk, talking about how what they're teaching is really rotational skills, and these rotational skills can be done with multiple multiple swings uh, with any, really any swing that you can and really thinking of these rotational skills that he's teaching as the sprint work that we're doing the weightlifting that we're doing you know on top of becoming a better hitter um, and really these rotational skills are helping a guy to one hit the ball harder uh, and hit the ball consistently harder as they continue to get more confident with knowing that they can turn, they can get into good positions to be able to hit. So uh, go over a ton of different things. Um, Chaz really went through uh, everything. It was open to asking how does he teach timing from, um, why does the front foot, how, why does he like the front foot being open when he, when he lands. So uh, Coach Pippet, I really appreciate it. Appreciate the time and uh, appreciate our guys at Netting Pros are helping make this happen. Uh, Netting pros are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. So big shout-out to Will Meyer and the guys at Netting Pros. Thanks to Chaz Pippett from, uh, from Baseball Rebellion for joining us here on our 101st episode. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. A lot of uh, notes, if you want to check out my notes, are on Podbeam. But, or just be ready for your own notes uh, as Chaz really just dives into a ton, a ton of talk about his rotational skills. So, again, here he is, Chaz Pippett from Baseball Rebellion.
Well, I mean, for me, the way that I've seen things change has been dramatic just simply because the reality is I started in a barn and now I'm in this, this massive 13,000 square foot facility. Right. So like personally you go from like no technology, no heat and air, no microwave, no toilet, you know, like we're talking nothing to, you know, hit tracks in every cage, you know, heat and air conditioning year round, you know, little things like a bathroom and a microwave. I remember when I got my first building, I was super excited to show my parents I had a toilet at work, <laughs> which is a very odd way to to work. But as far as as far as how lessons have changed, you know, the technology side and the analytics side is really good, but it has two sides to the, to the coin, right? So I think right now, over the last five years, we've seen, you know, professional baseball, like essentially hire people off of Twitter. And there has been very little vetting of whether a coach has actually made players better or not, or whether they can just write a good tweet thread. And that's hard for me to see. Like, I'm happy for everybody to get job opportunities. Don't get me wrong. You know, but I see certain guys have get hired over the past uh, five years. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that guy, I wouldn't let that guy run my front desk, let alone teach a hitter in my facility. And that doesn't mean every guy off Twitter who's gotten a pro job or a college job is bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just think what you've seen happen is them be, you know, elevated to their level of incompetence, uh, a lot of the Peter principle, and just you just get exposed. And so a lot of these guys are one and done, two and done, and out. And most of the people that are going through that, they're not refusing promotions like Tom did uh, to, to leave baseball. They're just getting let go because they're not making players better. Their theories don't hold up to the scrutiny of, of velocity and professional level pitching and their credibility gets questioned by these, by these players immediately because they don't look the part, speak the part or, or live the part of being a cage rat and making players better. So, you know, how has it changed in a positive way? I think with the technology, there can be more accountability for the coach. Um, that's something I think that my industry really lacks. Um, there's a lot of people who do what I do or say they do what I do as far as private instruction and player development uh, in the private sector, and they measure nothing. And they get by on the fact that they have a baseball card or the fact that they're really nice. And I don't have a baseball card. I happen to be pretty nice, but I don't retain clients and my business doesn't reclaim to retain clients because their kids like me. Uh, they happen to like me, but they my business retains clients because my kids get better. They hit better. They move on to the next level. They get division one scholarships. They get division two scholarships. They get opportunities to play whether division three, NAIA, JUCO or female athletes are going to, to power five and mid-major schools, high mid-major schools on massive scholarships over and over and over again. And our professional athletes are signing bigger and bigger contracts. Um, one of my good buddies, a uh, longtime client, he just signed a, a two-year deal with an option for a third year that's going to get him about $37 million. And, you know, years ago, he was a Rule 5 guy who told me if he didn't make the team out of camp, he was going to retire. And now he's going to be a 10-year big leaguer. And I'm not saying that's because of our instruction. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is those are the types of influence you can make on somebody's life and somebody's family life and somebody's career if you truly put the time in um, and you can create 
um, financial opportunity for people, whether it's scholarships, draft opportunity, or, or, you know, big league contracts with the information you provide them and then allowing them to execute that information. Because there's a lot of people who know a lot of things in my industry and that's great. But what the teacher knows is completely pales in comparison to what the student shows. And that's what my business is all about. And when people come at me on Twitter or Instagram or, or LinkedIn or wherever they do it. And they say, you know, the rebels rack is junk or we don't, we don't know how to make hitters better. Or they heard somebody say we made a kid worse. Like, okay, I mean, what am I supposed to say to that? You know um, yeah, it's possible. We, what we did didn't work for somebody. Okay. I, I hate that. That bothers me, you know, but right now it's, you know, nine o'clock Eastern time. I got to work at nine, uh, nine o'clock this morning. Uh, so I'm 12 hours into my day and the reality is I'm going to do this again tomorrow night. Cause my live show starts at nine 30. I'm going to leave my house at eight 45. I'm not going to see my wife or my kids for dinner tonight, last night, or, or the, tomorrow night, because I care so deeply about the kids that I work with and the, and the passion I have for making people better on the throwing or hitting side through baseball rebellion. So, you know, this job can get a, a negative rap from some of the things you see on Twitter. And I talk about Twitter a lot, unfortunately, because that's where a lot of people get this information, whether it's YouTube, Twitter, whatever, you know, they're consuming your content, they're consuming my content and our content may happen to be pretty good for the, for the vast majority of people that sees it, you know, but you know, you try to do no harm as an, as an instructor, but not everything I say is gold for every player. I recognize that. And I don't run away from that. But I definitely see a lot of people who are looking to do something different just to be different, as opposed to having some actual backing uh, with with real results in real life instead of theoretical results or textbook results. So that's what I see that's negative right now is there's a lot of people out there claiming to have a lot of things that they're doing really, really well. And a lot of it's smoke and mirrors and a lot of it's anecdotal and a lot of it is unmeasured and untested and unchecked. And that makes the the player uh really at risk because you know the coaches are experimenting on these players instead of doing the work beforehand to ensure that the player isn't just an $80 an hour guinea pig uh because if you're not measuring things you're not making sure that what you're giving is the best opportunity for a player to get better what you're doing is stealing and there's a lot of thieves in my industry I think about like measuring stuff because like you said, you just now got, you know, your hit tricks in every cage. What did you, is that when you started to just use technology Is that when you started to measure or like, what would you suggest those guys doing who do not have the technology to measure? So I would say the barrier of entry for hit tracks is obviously significant, right? But the barrier of entry to get a pocket radar or a diamond kinetic sensor or a pitch logic ball or a diamond kinetics ball, you know, it's 150 to $400. Like I, I just find it hard to believe that you truly, truly, truly don't have the money to put that back into your program and put that back into your players. Uh, and if you don't uh, and you're charging money for instruction, mm, I'm not so sure you should be doing that. But if you're if you're working for free and you're donating your time, that's a different that's different. I'm not I'm specifically not speaking about those people. OK, to be clear, you know, if you're at a high school and your budget is zero and you're buying stuff out of the back of your car and you're begging people for money. That's not what I'm talking about. So I want to be really clear about that. What I'm talking about is the guy who's doing lessons at a park with no overhead and he's doing five lessons a day, four days a week, 
after school and and you're hitting balls made out of tape and you're and you're not you're not using your cell phone which you have in your pocket to measure uh mechanics i mean everybody almost everybody's got an iphone and this camera right here when i started doing this i phones didn't even have cameras when i started doing this i was buying flip cameras which is a business that was awesome at the time uh but it's now completely obsolete because every phone has a great camera in it you know i'm i'm in a barn charging my computer and my flip camera to make sure that i can video every kid so we can go over laptop video and got it who knows 420p or whatever the least standard it looks like i filmed those film those videos with an oyster you know they're so they're so grainy but you know i was doing that in a in a barn when guys with facilities up the street were laughing at me doing trying to do video analysis so you know again i'm not bitter in any way about that i just it just feels icky to me to do to do business that way you know I mean, restaurants use thermometers to make sure their chicken's not undercooked. You know, at the very least, you can get a bat sensor or a video, use your phone video camera. At the very least, you can throw your iPhone on 240 frames a second and count the frames of a swing. Is I've been working this hitter for, for a month and a half. Uh, their warmed up first swing off a tee was, you know, who knows, 32 frames in slow-mo. Okay, I just made that number up. Well, now it's 26 frames. They're faster, period. So even if you don't have even the money for a sensor, right, you can do something like that. And I just think there's very few people, you know, actually putting the time in to even think of something like that, you know, because making a kid swing a bat faster, you know, correctly, uh, it does take a lot of planning. It does take a lot of effort, you know, but at the very, very least, you should be putting enough money back into your program and back into your own education so you can avoid making players worse more often than you make them better. Not for sure. Sure. Would you would you speak into some of the things that you really feel as though are the big things that translate? You know, I mean, measurements because a lot of measurements will translate. So, what have you found that maybe translate into like your big time hitters and what you've seen uh, get you most bang for your buck? Well, I would definitely say the main thing that translates would be when when you talk about hit tracks measurements. The main thing that translates would obviously be exit speed, right? So like the harder you hit the ball, the more likely you're to get a hit. Um, you know, and just to be clear, if you hit the ball low, you hit the ball harder than if you hit the ball high. So, you know, I was talking to Dan Heifer from Dallas Baptist and he, and I don't want to misquote him, but I'm probably going to do it. Uh, on line drives hit between 10 and 15 degree uh, launch angle, which it's almost impossible not to hit a ball hard at that height. Okay. They batted almost 800 or over 800. I don't remember exactly what it was. So they want to hit the ball between 10 and 15 degrees. So they talk about launch angle and they reward that that little launch angle window, right? Um, that's no different than talking about I like backside ground balls. Those have negative launch angles. You know, so if you're looking for a certain style of swing and style of hit based on the attributes of a player, you with hit tracks, you can actually craft that. You can train players to get hits very similar to the way a basketball coach, a shooting coach trains players to make shots. You know, if you're in your backyard and you shoot a shot and you miss, I don't think there's many people that are like, man, that felt good though. Like, no, you missed. You need to make an adjustment. So if you hit a laser back to the back of the cage 
you can get cued that that's good by your coach. But if you're on a field, you can see that the center fielder didn't even move and caught it. So you need to not do that. So the hit tracks allows us to actually train players where the defenders are in a normal shifted situation. So not something ridiculous like you see on television, but like a high school, uh, high school, general high school lineup, right? with slight shading of pull and backside and, you know, based on, you know, where you are in the batting lineup or if you're committed to some big school or if you're a nobody, um, you know, we train players to hit the ball where the fielders are not. We also train players to hit the ball harder. We also train players to pull the ball in the air. From the, from the first time I get a kid in my cage to the first round draft pick to the guy who's going to be a major leaguer, pulling the ball in the air is super hard and players are not allowed to practice it. And if they practice it, it's usually on their own and they're usually practicing it incorrectly. So getting a player to be able to pull a ball in the air straight, meaning with no hook, is so valuable. And, you know, when I talk about the work that I've done over the last five or six years with Ryan Mountcastle, uh, who hit 33 pumps for the Orioles as a rookie, the first two years that we met, the first two or three years we met, we talked about pulling the ball in the air. That's all we talked about. That's it. And he doubled his extra base hits his first year. He led the – after after his first year, so his second year. To his third year, he led all the minor leagues in doubles. His fourth year, he was AAA MVP. So clearly his, his power – grew with him as he became a more mature physical adult man, as opposed to an 18 year old boy who was just, you know, drafted. Uh, but also he practiced that lift. He earned that lift through rotational skill acquisition. And I can't, I can't stress enough when a player learns how to turn, they're always better than if they, we try to teach them how to hit because I can have a player go to any school in the country with any hitting philosophy. And if they turn faster with good posture, balance, and vision, they can do what any hitting coach wants them to do better. So I can be hitting agnostic, which I mostly am now, believe it or not, because I train players how to turn better inside of the mechanics they already have. And their bodies accept and look for speed and efficiency, just like your toddlers do when they learn how to run, just like they do when they go from crawling to walking. And just like in the beginnings of that phase, if you really think back, if you've got kids and you're listening to this, remember when your, your son or daughter first learned to walk, right? You, you rewarded them. You were happy for them. But if they really needed to get somewhere quick, they dropped back down and crawled at first because that was comfortable. It was safe. And they knew it was faster. Well, the second their walking beats their crawling, they never crawl again. And the second their jogging beats their walking, when they're like three or four, then they sprint everywhere for like four straight years and just try to die. Cause I know that's what my little boys do. They run around constantly and all they do, they got one speed. Well, that's how your swing wants to be. It wants to go one speed. It wants to be the fastest it can be as often as it can do it with as little variation as possible. And if you train from that great optimal turn, then when you go suboptimal, your base is at such a higher level that when you do adjust, you still have the ability to do something positive. So I hope I answered your question, but that's what I see when guys hit it harder, when they can and guys and girls hit it harder or more often, we can, when they can pull the ball in the air, 
when their rotational skill goes up. So when their rack training gets really good, uh, and that is across the board, uh, fat, skinny, tall, short, young, old, male, female, it does not matter. Softball, baseball, irrelevant. Um, even the golfers that I've worked with that are range in age from, you know, 25 year old former college baseball players trying to add some yards to their drive or 70 year old, 80 year old men uh, just trying to play without pain and get through 18 holes instead of nine. Um, they just are shocked at how much better their body feels when you actually show them, hey, man, if you just open your front foot a little bit, your knee won't hurt so bad when you when you hit a golf ball. Or if you just practice for five minutes on this rack to help you learn how, how to turn your body and activate some muscles, here's some, here's some, I call them stretches. They're not always stretches, they're activation uh, isometrics. But when I talk to people, I don't really generally want to go into like all the mechanics yeah. of why we do certain things. It's just minutia. And they'll go through and they're like, wow, I, I just feel like, I feel so loose. I feel so much better. I'm like, yeah, man, let's go hit a ball. And we used to have a simulator in our, in our facility for golf. And, you know, my, my former guy who ran my business, Tyler Zupsik, uh, I mean, he added 40 yards to his drive. I mean, then that guy, that guy hit the ball really hard anyway. So, you know, when you go from 295 to 335 with your driver, I mean, that's a different deal. When you pull that one wood out of that bag, you feel great. And there's no reason your 12 year old can't feel great because they can hit it to the fence or your 10 year old who batted, who batted once and played two innings, can't play the full game every game in little league next year or the kid who didn't make the middle school team as a sixth grader because uh, they haven't hit their growth spurt yet as middle school sports is just a race to puberty. Uh, even if they don't grow before seventh grade, they can feel more confident because they can swing that heavier bat, that BB core bat. They got to swing in middle school around here in Durham. Uh, nobody cares if you're 80 pounds, you're swinging a drop three. That's if you can't swing it, you can't play. So, you know, you, we just have to give people these opportunities. And if you tell them they can't do it, you're a hundred percent right. But if you show them that they might be able to do it, if they have better skill, you're probably right there too. Hmm. So uh, w learning to, let me just get into like learning to turn faster. <clears throat> like I said, I've, I've done some of the progression and things like that, but like just, uh, I love your idea of like, so slow motion and that's where you're kind of, that's the measurement of it. Like where you're kind of slow motion camera to see frames sure. per second, right? Where you're looking, sure. here's how you're going to turn faster. Yeah. That, that's a great way to do it. If, if you just have a cell phone, right. Right. So, you know, I don't know anybody who's going to listen to this, who doesn't have a cell phone. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how else they listen to it. Frankly. Uh, I don't listen to podcasts on my computer. I listen to it on my cell phone. So um, if you're coaching kids and you have a cell phone, Quit, you know, quit texting during practice and get some video of your kids, you know, throw it on slow-mo, have them swing twice, throw it on 60 frames a second. You know, honestly, with young kids, you can really do it with 60 frames and some of them with 30 frames, depending on how young they are. But, but if, if you want to really look for a small, tiny improvement, you go to 240 and, you know, look at how long it takes them to go from chest to the camera to back to the camera, or how long does it take from, the second their tip of their bat starts to move to the second of contact, you know, when you see the ball blur because it's been hit off the tee, you know, little things like that. I mean, if you always measure the same way, even if your measuring tape's broken, it'll still show you growth. And consistency of measurement is just a massive part of Baseball Rebellion. We measure every ball that's hit, every ball that's thrown at Baseball Rebellion every single day. And our database of, of tech, uh, our database of swings, um, 
is the largest in the country for Hittrax users. And it's growing. It grows every day. And that's the thing is when we talk about proving improvement, you know, people are like, well, what about the game? Yeah, the game is obviously where we want to see the improvement. Like, come on, man. Of course, that's what we want. But what if there's no games for four months? Like we also say you shouldn't be playing games in December, right? So if there's no games for a period of time, then the batting cage becomes the weight room. And we all measure what we do in the weight room. No one would lift weights without numbers on the on the weights. That'd be insane. So we got to measure the weight room that way. And we got to take the batting cage and measure it that way. And then as we taper off that for the season, like an Olympic swimmer tapers up to their meet, then we get more game like we're less worried about green numbers on hit tracks. We're less worried about maximal bat speed. We're not worried about, um, you know, things, you know, exit velocity, setting a record. What we're looking for then is consistency. Now we're talking about average exit velocity. Now we're talking about average exit velocity versus versus pitch velocity or pitch movement. How do we say, okay, well, last time we did chunked practice on curveballs. Okay. Your average velocity was 72 miles an hour. And it was 72 miles an hour because we made these three flaws. One, two, three. Well, those three flaws are rooted in this movement flaw. You didn't hold your hinge transition and side bend well with, with speed through rotation. All right. Well, that was a word salad. So what's that mean? That means you stood up while you turned, you pulled out, your front shoulder flew open, you pulled your head, however you want to describe that in baseball, softball terms. Okay. Well, you've already shown you can't fix that while you're hitting. So let's go over here. Let's work on the actual movement. Let's make sure that you understand what it feels like to at full speed, hold your hinge through in transition to the side bend and rotate your shoulders upward without standing your posture back up. So you still have your head back over your back foot and over home plate. Look at the shape of your body. Watch yourself in the mirror. Feel how that feels. Oh, you lost your balance there. What happened? Okay, when your back leg gets wrong, okay, your head went forward. So your back leg lengthened out. So you got to make sure you make sure your, your back leg remains bent. Cool. Let's do that for, for a little while. Okay, that looks good now. Let's go see if it breaks again. What are your main things you're focusing on? Well, at first they were just trying to hit the curveball. Now they're trying to make sure their back leg stays bent and they keep their head back while they rotate with speed. Bang, bang, bang. Now their average velocity on that curveball is 77 miles an hour and you've made a real change they can feel good about that you tested and that it worked. So you give them actual solutions instead of just like randomly hoping it works and, and throwing a million curveballs at them. Because of course you get a little bit better over time if you just see the same pitch a million times in a row. Some hitters don't have time. They don't get to go 0 for 4 for a weekend over and over and keep playing. They get one at bat to get their second at bat, to get their third at bat when they're freshmen. Like you have to be better than that for them. They don't have time for your random chaotic practice to maybe not work. They don't have time. They have to get better now. And you owe it to them to make sure you can identify mistakes and eradicate those movement flaws as fast as possible. For sure. No, I agree. Like, and then that's why the guys are there. Like you said, they had the one at bat and you do your job, you get two and you do your job, you know, as you execute your role, you end up getting more of a role. So I think that's a very valuable point, you know, and you do, you have to get it down to, um, yeah, the, the serious cue where they can hopefully find better. And then, like you said, find how you need to say it. That's going to help that kid as well. For sure. And, and not every, not every time you say, you know, hold your hinge is going to mean anything to you or, or your twins that they mean to one of the hitters I saw today. Right. So instead of saying, just hold your hinge, 
to a hitter. I have to say, excuse me, I have to say, um, not only hold your hinge, but hey, keep your hips bent. Hey, keep your hips outside your shoulders. Hey, make sure your knees are over your ankles. Hey, vertical shins. Hey, wait on your heels. Hey, make sure you lean over just a little bit more in your stance. I said the same thing seven ways right then. And it doesn't matter what I think of those cues. It matters how the hitter executes and uses them. Not understands them, uses them. Coaches have to understand it and know it. Hitters, frankly, just have to show it. Now, obviously, we want them to understand it. But what I don't want to have happen is them to know 7,000 flaws they might do and search that database. I need them to know the two things or the one thing they have to do that makes 6,999 of those flaws almost a 0% chance of happening. So they can be, they can have clarity. The number one thing that my athletes tell me that I am the most proud of, to be completely honest with you, and um, this has really happened over the last three or four years to me specifically, I'm speaking for myself. They talk about how calm they are when they play, how, how much belief they have in the fact that they're prepared. And I don't think there's a better feeling that an athlete can have. And I don't think there's a more positive thing that they can possibly say to a coach, because if you're playing ACC or SEC softball, if you're facing some freak in your first year of pro ball, throwing a hundred, if you're facing Max Scherzer or playing left field in Yankee Stadium, you better be prepared because if you're not ready, you are dead and you will get exposed and that next kid will be thinking they're ready and they will take your spot. And I want my athletes who are who are who are working while they wait to be great when they get their chance. And my athletes who get the first chance, I want them to strangle the life out of it and never give it back. Great, Coach. Um, so, Chaz, can you uh, can you get us a little bit of like maybe more specific of like then what specific things you'd like to see that to help kids turn more? Because one thing I, I do like about it, and you mentioned this earlier about getting in front of the mirror. And I remember one of the things that I've always loved, like when I started to learn about your stuff is you 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 earn the right to get the bat in your hand you know what i mean like you you really spend some time like we're not going to pick up a bat right now and um you know and you see that a lot like i mean even defensively john wouldn't talk about taking a basketball away you know we get to work on our technique so I, I really like how that so if you could just give us a you know clarity of like where that where did that come from where do you start that and kind of what do you really expect of them before they even pick up a bat so a little bit about me i didn't play a ton of baseball when i was a kid Okay, so I didn't have all these preconceived notions about, well, this is the right way to play the game or this is the right way to swing a bat or this is the right way to do something. Right. I frankly didn't know that stuff. I remember my first uh, like inner squad at NC State or something like an inner squad. We were doing something where the, I was playing right field. I had never played right field in my life or never been coached at right field. I played center field because I was fast and it's high school. And what do you want me to tell you? So just like everybody plays shortstop in high school, like, you know, what do you want me to tell you? So I'm in right field 
they hit a ground ball to third base. Our third baseman, I believe, was ended up getting drafted in the seventh round, throwing to another professional athlete who got drafted later in the draft in the, at first base. Uh, the catcher was a first rounder. The pitcher at the time was a first rounder. The shortstop actually made all the way to the big leagues as a pitcher, even though he was an unbelievable shortstop. I don't think the second baseman was a pro. But my point is, I was surrounded by a bunch of dudes who I knew were going to make the play. So I didn't go back up first base. I didn't even consider that that was something I needed to do on a ground ball to third as a right fielder. And, oh, man, did I hear about it. Mm. And, and they were right. But my point is, I didn't even know. I didn't choose not to back up first base. I didn't know to do it. I didn't choose not. I didn't choose to get picked off repeatedly when I was trying to learn how to steal, even though I was a six-five runner. I didn't know what to look at. And when you assume athletes who are thought to be proficient at certain things, whether they're at a power five top 10 school or a first round draft pick or a division one softball player or a committed player, whatever, you're really doing them a disservice. So we make assumptions as coaches all the time that absolutely crush our athletes. We assume they know how to rotate properly because they're good hitters. The first 10 years, eight years of my career, I assumed without even knowing I was assuming it, that you knew how to turn well, because you're a baseball player. You know how to throw, you know how to turn, you know how to hit. Oh my God, I was way off. I wasn't even close. And when you can take a guy, you know, let's say a guy who hit 16 home runs in division one and in 80 minutes, show them how to turn and they gain nine miles an hour of exit velocity. That shouldn't even be possible. That shouldn't, it shouldn't be possible. You can't take, you know, have, you know, Thor, the, the lifter, right. Work on his deadlift technique for a little bit. And he goes up, you know, 9% of his thousand pound lift or whatever it is. It's not possible because he's that close to the top. Well, shouldn't these guys be that close too? Shouldn't AAA All-Stars be that close? Shouldn't Major League Baseball players, the top 1% of 1%, be that close? The answer is they should be in your mind, but in reality, they have never in their lives practiced turning. Never. Not once. And I'll have elite players from all over the country fly in. And we'll be 30 minutes into their first session, right? They've already done their hitting. They did their video breakdown. They did their hit tracks breakdown, whatever. And we're 30 minutes out. They haven't hit a ball in 30 minutes. And I'm like, hey, let me ask you something. What's the most amount of time in your life you've ever practiced your striding or your hinging without a bat in your hand? And they think about it. And I usually say, this is probably the first time you've ever done that, isn't it? And they're like, well, yeah. I was like, okay. So I want you to remember that. So then we go through the turning. Then they get back in the cage and they're like, I've had lessons for years or I've, I've played at a high level for years. Why has nobody ever showed me this? Why am I hitting the ball so much harder right now? And the answer is because your body is accepting rotational movement rules like factual rotational skill stuff. And I understand, I don't have a CT scan in my building. Everybody's body's different, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We're not doing body scans to find out if you've got calcified hips or lumbar spine problems. Like 
you know, labrum tears. We're not doing that stuff. Nobody is. So stop acting like you are with your, with your FMS test. If you look for problems, you'll find problems. I want to look for solutions. I want to take an athlete and say, Hey, I know based on your swing that you're not turning as fast as you can. You think you are, and I know you're wrong. Let me show you how to turn and let's go swing again. Do it whatever you want after that. And, it, and it, it's constantly working. The last thing an athlete wants to do is 35 minutes of mobility work before they hit or throw. So you can make them do that in front of you. They ain't doing that when I get to the field, partner. So that's all well and good. If I see another kid do a quadruped, thoracic extension exercise and then look stiff as hell when they swing you know if i had a dollar for every time i saw that i'd, I'd be a multi-millionaire and so what i want to do is i want to try to find solutions where they're standing they're in their stance they're moving the way they want to move and they're associating speed with hitting not getting a hit with hitting that's the difference you say they associate speed with hitting not not getting a hit with hitting getting a hit so like you, you're, you're not really in control of that. You, you, you can't control as much as I, I'd love to tell you that you can, you might hit 110 mile an hour ball and they jump up and catch it. Like it happens. You know, you might hit a bleeder and it falls. It happens. So what you're trying to do is give yourself the best opportunity to turn really fast with balance while you look at the ball. And when you make hitting simpler like that, I want to turn really fast with balance on time while I look at the ball. Not, I got to get a hit. I'm over my last two. And, you know, they had Lexi over there warming up last inning. And if I don't get a hit right here, I'm going to get taken out. Or, man, you know, I'm only, I'm only a sophomore. And, you know, I know I played better than that freshman. But, man, he's already committed to Wake Forest. And I got to make sure if I don't get a hit here, I might have to move to third base. Like, how is any of those thoughts, how are any of those thoughts positive? They're not. You can't control what the coach thinks. You can't control your outcomes in a reactionary sport where you're just trying to swing a bear, a, a, a tube as fast as you can at a sphere, okay, where it's where it's nine on one and ten on one if it's hot and the umpire's old, okay, because he, <laughs> he's ready to go. He gets paid by the game, not by the hour. Don't you ever forget that, okay? So – you know, if I'm up in a kid's game, it's ankles to ankles to armpits, white line to white line. You better be swinging or you're going to be sitting because I'm not here to have your team fake button walk all day to cheat your way to a win. Let's let's see. You can play the game. Let's move it along. Let's go. And so that's the thing. These players. They have told me over and over and over. I've never felt more ready. I continue to be told this is the best I've ever looked. Yes, coaches have things to say negative to my players. None of them are perfect. Let's not, I'm not implying that or, or even, you know, I'm not saying anything like that. They all have flaws. They all strike out. They all fly out. They all make errors. They all do problems. Great. But you know what they also do? They also have more confidence because the confidence comes from trusting their training. It comes from preparation. You know, I'm not nervous about doing this podcast because I'm freaking prepared. I've been doing this for 15 years. I live this. This is my life's work, training players to rotate better. It's everything I care about in my professional life. I don't care 
if I'm talking to you or if Manny Ramirez calls me or if Ryan Mountcastle calls me or if somebody's 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. I'm ready to help them. I'm ready to look at a video. I'm ready to find out answers. And if I don't have the answer, I'm ready to stay up till four in the morning till I have it. And that's what great coaching is, in my opinion. That's what being obsessed with making somebody else great. That's what giving back is. You know, this is this, you know, this podcast. Yeah, you, you're interviewing me, but what are we talking about? We're talking about players. We're talking about their results. We're talking about giving them giving them the opportunity to produce a turn they can control. We're we're giving them the opportunity to look at themselves in the mirror and go, I can do that. Not, well, I got a bad call. So, you know, it didn't work out, which every coach would tell them to be quiet about. You want your players to be accountable for the information that you give them. You want them to trust the training that they're receiving. You want to elevate them and elevate their mindset and their performance possibility. And most importantly, you want to elevate the floor of their performance. Anybody can make somebody hit one ball harder once in a while if you flip enough balls to them. You want them to understand like, wow, I got fooled here and I still hit the ball 95 miles an hour. Whereas when I was getting fooled in that same pitch three months ago, I was hitting 70 miles an hour. And that's the thing. You can get players to understand like, wow, this pattern gives my my fooled swing a great chance to be as good as their best swing. What's better than that? What makes you more confident than that? My B swing is better than your A swing. Screw you. That's such a great way to feel. You can look at that picture. And you can go, I'm training in a different way than you, and I'm more prepared. And I have self-belief that you can't even comprehend because I earned it. Instead of, I just hope it happens. Yeah, elevating the floor, the performance. It's really good. Yeah, elevating the floor. Like you said, you're... I get fired up about this stuff, man. I, I apologize. I, I, I'm not trying to be like fire and brimstone here. It's just, it just means, it means so much to me. And I mean, guys, like when somebody as good as Tom Eller, you know, like really values your opinion. If he asked me when he was with the Orioles, he asked me something about a draft guy one time. And I knew what I thought, but I looked, I looked at, I looked at the videos of these two guys. I knew what I thought going in. And uh, I told him what I thought. And we're going to find out if we're right. Cause they ended up taking the guy that he wanted them to take. And that was the same guy that I wanted it, that I said I would take. Um, and they took them. So we'll find out. And I'm excited to find out because I thought that certain, that player had the best swing in the draft. And, um, that's what I told him and he agreed and it ended up working out. And I'm not telling you he drafted him. I'm sure as hell not telling you they cared what I thought, but, yeah. but he did. And that means a lot to me. And if somebody like that, um, puts that much stock in me and my systems and my thoughts and my, my eye. Well, I'm going to make sure that I do the best I can to make sure I continue to sharpen that. And, uh, and that's what we do every day at baseball. Rebellion. And that's, what's so cool about the way we work because I've got five, six elite hitting instructors that are turning down division one jobs that are interviewing for double a jobs with no pro experience that are, 
turning down other minor league positions that are former employees that are hitting coaches at Texas softball and in, in a couple different organizations in pro ball um, that didn't get those job opportunities before they worked with us. And, you know, we don't put it out like some companies every 15 seconds, another guy gets hired one, we're smaller, but, but two, who cares? Like, I'm happy for those guys. I don't need people to say, you know, oh, wow, these guys, these players are at Baseball Rebellion. Like, if you come in my building, right, you're not going to see a bunch of stuff up about who trains where. You know, you might see a retweet or a like on my Twitter feed, but you're not going to see the claiming of these athletes because they're the men in the arena. They're the men and women fighting the fight that are going up against those hitters and, and pitchers. Uh, Cause we do do throwing too. I know I mostly talk about hitting, but please remember when I talk about hitters, I mean, pitchers as well. Um, you know, they're the ones doing it. Don't you ever forget that. I, I have never hit a ball off Max Scherzer in my life. What am I going to tell Ryan about hitting a baseball when Max Scherzer throws it? The answer is nothing. What I'm going to tell Ryan is when you get to these positions, with these fields, you have the best opportunity to turn the way you want when you want to do it. Mm. So speaking of that, just like, like the thing about Coach Eller uh, and things like that, if Coach wants to learn more and more and, and get the kids to turn better, <clears throat> improve their mechanics and things like that, like, Think even about Tom's journey, like when he first met you and came down and, and, and spent his time. What 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 is that kind of transformation like, or what is that pro progression like for a coach to come in and you kind of work with them? Depends how open-minded they are, you know. You everyone has biases towards their own thoughts, including myself, right? So, you know, obviously, if a hitter asks me a question, I tend to to relate it back to, well, did you load well? Did you prepare to turn well through your pelvis? Yes or no? Generally, the answer is no, right? In my opinion, but we'll see. Uh, you know, did you did you delay your upper body through your rotation? Did you rotate completely and fast? Did you hold your posture? Did you look at the ball? Simple stuff, right? That's generally how I look at hitting. Um, so, if you want, if you don't look at hitting that way, or if you kind of do, and you want to see and hear why I look at it that way, come on down. Open door policy all the time. Right. I mean, we have a Rebels Rack Movement certification course that is phenomenal. People absolutely love it. I have never gotten a request for a refund on it one time uh, from somebody that's taken it. Um, the book has been uh, really received well with how the, the rotation is trained. And, and it's really been received well through the strength conditioning community, which has been interesting, probably more so than the baseball community. Uh, because the strength conditioning community, uh, I mean, frankly, tends to be more uh, standardized with their education, right? So, you know, most strength coaches have a CSCS. Most have a bachelor's in exercise science. Most have at least some certification, whether it's FMS or CPT or whatever it is, PES. They have some training in movement, Okay, now which is good or bad, that's a whole nother deal, but they have some training, right? And they can look at the programming in the book or the programming in the certification and they can go, wow, you know, this is well thought out. This is organized properly. This is in order. 
This doesn't load untrained movements because you would never load a deadlift without training it or a squat technique without training it. it would never happen in a weight room. Well, so why is it happening on a baseball field? Why are we loading anaerobic exercises like a baseball swing with weighted bats or even underload training, which can be even more dangerous when the kid has a terrible swing, when their knees are in terrible position, when they're when their back leg extends fully through rotation, through pelvic rotation and shoulder rotation, crushing their SI joint. Why are we allowing these things? Well, I think it's because we don't know. And if a player hits, hits well, then you let it go. Well, the number one ability of an athlete is availability. And if you're hurt, I don't care how good your swing is. One of the best hitters I've ever seen ever in my career is Bryant Packard out of ECU. And his back hurts him all the time. And I remember when I first saw him hit, uh, he came down to see Eric, who played ECU. And I, I pulled Eric aside. I said, Eric, you dude, his back leg really extends through rotation. He's got to keep his back leg bent, and that will take a lot of stress off his lower back. Well, sophomore year, he really worked on that, and he was an All-American. Now, what he does now, I honestly don't know. I haven't talked to, to Bryant in, in years, okay? Uh, I'm sure Eric still does. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know. But I know that that guy was one of the most impressive hitters I've ever seen in person in the college level. Like, if not number one, number I can't think of number one. I can't think of who number one would be. Um, and and the only thing that's going to make that guy not be a major league hitter is his back. And it bums me out if it's still bothering him. Um, and I know he works at it. I know he's trying to do the right thing for himself. I know he is. So I just hope it works out. I mean, Brian Wright's another player I play with NC State who who had back injuries that, uh, you know, that that derailed his career. And I don't know the, the genesis of those. But I do know that if that guy is not good enough to make it just on being good, then then I don't know. I don't I don't know how anybody makes it because he was that he was that good. The only thing that could have stopped him was was an injury. And and, and that's what happened. So. And I haven't talked to Brian Wright in 20 years. So I hope if he hears this, I hope he's doing awesome because, man, he was amazing to play with. Such a great, such a super nice guy and and so giving with his time for some redshirt punk like me who didn't know what the hell he was doing. And, and you know, Brian, I think, could tell that I really wanted to learn. And uh, whether I went about it the right way or not, I don't really know. But, man, I would have done anything that guy told me as far as hitting goes. And, and again, he probably doesn't know that, but man, he was, he was amazing. And, you know, those are the type of people that, that I've seen over the course of, of my career. Right. So, you know, probably the most impressive other than Manny Ramirez, but even maybe including Manny Ramirez, the most impressive single hitter that I ever worked with is Alex Hugo. She's a uh, softball player out of Georgia. She went to Kansas, I, I believe as a freshman and then, and then went to Georgia all American a few times. I mean, this is a 5'7", 155-pound girl that hits the ball over 90 miles an hour and 330 feet with a, with a, with a softball bat. Mm. And I'm not – she's hitting softballs that far. So I've never seen anything like it in my life mm. to this day. And I've worked with some really, really high-level female athletes and male athletes. And to see the way she repeated how explosive she was but how calm she was into that move – and and when I get when I got her, met her the first time, she had the ball 79 miles an hour. And by the time we stopped training together, she had the ball 90 miles an hour. And all we did was the rack. How am I going to tell her to hit better? I've never faced an all-American softball player. Right. 
Like, I don't know. I don't know how to face a rise ball. I've never seen a rise ball, right? right? At that time in my career. I've never stood in and actually seen a rise ball. But, man, you know what I could see? Her athleticism was not fully utilized inside her swing. And then it was. And that was really cool. How do you unlock that? Like, what do you what do you see? How is it? So think about something as simple as, um, well, how old are you, first of all? 40. Great. So I'm 39. So I'll be 40 June 30th. Make sure you guys tune into my Twitter channel to see if I dunk this year. I've been dunking every year on my birthday since I was 12. Nice. So I got to go for it. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. I, my, my dunks are old enough to buy, buy a beer. So uh, it's something I, I take a lot of pride in, even though I do absolutely no work every year. But I've been able to do it every year since it's my 13th birthday. I dunked for the first time the day before my 12th birthday. And uh, 40 is going to be the hardest one yet. It's getting it's harder. Impressive, yet. man. Dunking at 13, dude. Like, that's awesome, man. That's why I didn't play baseball. I was playing basketball. I was right. I guarantee Chasing you guys around, right? I bet but, you um, were. Dunking at 13. Yeah, my first dunk in a game was in seventh grade. So that was that's pretty awesome. cool. Um, I think it would be. <laughs> but, you know, uh, like I said, I had a weird athletic journey. The point is, you know, I'm when I see something as simple as we're 40 years old, right? Cool. Think about who was who was the main hitting coach we were coming up. Who was cool? Okay, well, Frank Thomas was cool. So I would say Charlie Lau was the main guy. Charlie Lau was very linear. He wanted your front foot closed. He wanted your front knee completely turned in. He wanted you to hit against that stiff front side and drive your hands down. That's what he wanted you to do. So guess what I tried to do? What Charlie Lau told me to do. I read his book and I watched his videos and I tried to hit like Frank Thomas because he was my favorite player, even though I was left-handed and I was too dumb to realize how cool Griffey was with his backwards hat. But I just thought Frank Thomas was cool looking. And then when I got a little bit older, I thought Sammy Sosa was cool looking because I was a Cubs fan. And if that Cubs, if the, if McGuire and Sosa never do what they did and bonds, allegedly uh, do what they did. I don't ever play baseball in college. That saved the game for me. 1998 saved the game for me. There is no baseball rebellion without Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa hitting 60 home runs four years in a row. I promise you that. And like I said, whatever they did or didn't do, I don't know. I wasn't there. And it's pretty obvious that pitchers were involved as well. When you look at the, uh, year-by-year year fastball average velocity decline right after testing was implemented. You know, so say what you want about who should be in the Hall of Fame or not. But, you know, when I think about what I was trying to do, I was trying to do everything I could not to open my front foot. Okay, let's explore that. How are you going to turn – how are you going to turn your belly button to the pitcher if your front foot's closed like the front – like the top of the batter's box? Well, you're not. So your knee and your front hip have to make a choice every time you swing. You have to literally jump, jump with your front foot to release your cleats from the ground and spin your foot open, or you're going to tear your ACL. Or you can be big and strong enough to not have to turn your hips. That's the other option. That was Frank Thomas's option. That was Mark McGuire's option. I didn't have that option. So I was 157 pounds when I enrolled at NC State. So there wasn't much me. Now, thank God that was back before BB core bats, before BESR bats. My senior days. year, my senior year, I sweat 150 pounds. I swung a 34, 29, two and three quarter rocket launcher, man. Yep. God, I thought I had juice. 
And then I got to state and they showed us this BESR bat and I couldn't get it to the track. And I'm looking at these monsters in the weight room. I've never lifted a weight in my life. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I have bitten off more than I can chew. Uh, you know, so I went to work and I, and I did the best I could with what I had for the 18 months I was there. Um, you know, didn't end up being very good, but left to play basketball at Asheville. And then I ended up getting ruled ineligible. So I played baseball there instead. But I mean, even after I left state, like baseball, wasn't what I really wanted to do as a player. Now it's absolutely what I want to do as a coach. I absolutely love teaching players how to rotate, you know, but I don't think there's a dollar amount in the world I'd take to coach on a field in a game. I just don't know enough about it. I'll be honest with you. I don't know enough about it. Um, I don't feel comfortable in that element. I never have. And I feel really comfortable in the cage, working on hitters training and listening and learning about what they feel when they see different, different pitch types and different, different situations. So I can break down and drill down on why do you feel nervous? Why do you feel like you can't execute there? What actually breaks down? Let's look at the video. Let's see what really happened and let's train the movements that matter inside of your swing so that when you get to that spot again, you no longer have anxiety based on past performance. You have excitement based on the training you had for future performance. Hmm. Cool. That's, that's, that's a great way to put it. You don't have anxiety. Well, you, you only should be nervous if you're unprepared, right? Mm -hmm. Like why should you be nervous if you studied for the test? Why should you be nervous if you're really the best man for the job? Why should you be nervous if you're if you're uniquely prepared to execute in any situation? You shouldn't be nervous. You think Navy SEALs getting nervous? I think Navy SEALs probably have some butterflies for a mission, but they're not nervous like, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. They're nervous, excited. I think I'm not a Navy SEAL. Now, I've worked with some Navy SEALs kids and some Army Rangers and Green Berets and and those guys are obviously some of the most intense people I've ever met in my whole life. Some of the most impressive people I've ever met in my entire life. And what's the commonality when I talk to them? Eye contact, posture, self-assuredness, self-belief, problem solving, right? All the stuff that everybody on Twitter talks about with their hitters. Okay. Well, how did they get to the point where they felt that way? at 4 a.m. in another country, how'd they get there? Their training prepared them for it. So that's what I want for my hitters, whether they're whether it's an 0-2 count in Yankee Stadium or whether it's their tryouts for the first time in middle school and, and, and they're looking around and there's a guy next to them with a goatee. Like, it's why is that different? It's different in what happens if you fail, like life or death. It's not different in how your body reacts to the stress. And that's not my opinion. We know this. So I don't want to just stress you out horribly over and over and over, which is the way a lot of people do this. What I want to do is give you an appropriate age, appropriate skill level, appropriate training program that allows me to give you tests that are fair and then tests that have increasing difficulty to see when failure happens and then retrain exactly what failed and then do it again. Not just test and test and test and test and test. If you fail a math test, teacher grades it, you get five out of 10 questions right. They tell you 
you know, Chaz, you got an F. You missed five out of 10. Dang. Here's another test. Try again. Well, I might get lucky and get six out of 10 on that test. But all I know is I got five out of 10 wrong. She didn't tell me what I did. She didn't tell me where my mechanics of my math messed up. Was it order of operation? Did I just miscount? Did I, did I uh, just make a silly mistake like multiply instead of divide? I don't know. I have no idea. I was never told. I just was told fail. Five out of 10. If I just take tests repeatedly, I'm going to randomly get some better and I'm going to randomly do worse. Mm -hmm. Okay. What actually happens in school? What actually happens in school is if a, if a class or even an individual person continually fails, the teacher says, okay, class average score on this test was a 64. That's not going to get it done. Eight out of 10 of you guys missed problems 13 and 15. Let's talk about how we miss those. Let's do these on, on the board. Let's go over these tests. Let's go over these problems. Okay, most of you guys messed up the third step. Let's talk about how to do the third step. Where was the problem? What mechanic broke down? Cool. Now, tonight's problems, you have six problems. They all deal with the same two mistakes that most of you made. Now, Erica and Johnny, you guys made different mistakes. You guys have a different set of homework. I'll talk to you guys after class. But the rest of you, this is what we need to work on. We're going to retest on Friday. Today's Tuesday. We're going to talk about these mistakes every single day until we retest. And we're going to make sure that you have done these problems so many times and so well that you don't make those mistakes anymore because you can identify when those mistakes are about to happen and you can eradicate them. All right, okay. All right class. We just took our test on Friday. The average score is at 89. Only one of you missed the mistake we went over one time in the entire test on problems 13 and 15. Great job. Johnny, Erica, you guys did awesome too. Both of you got 100. Congratulations. That's school. That's how good teachers teach. Why is hitting different? Why is pitching different? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Great teachers teach the same way, whether it's neuroscience, microbiology, hitting, police academy, great teachers teach the same way. And not everybody is lucky enough to have a great teacher. Some people overcome it. Most people fail. Well, you then, do you like, I'm just thinking about in a group setting, you know, like because some come, come coaches, you know, uh, it, it, when let's think of not the on a team setting side of things where you don't have the you know one on one setting where you have to maybe bucket a guy. You know what I mean? So you're like yeah. you said, uh, problems thirteen and fifteen might be a certain bucket, or like you said, a certain mechanical flaw or like yep. certain a certain thing. So how would you recommend that from uh, you know, from a team standpoint? Well, on, on a team that I coached, um, they'd all have uh, a, a real a. a expert level understanding of the rules of rotation. So they would all understand, they would all understand posture, balance, hip hinge, transition into hip hinge was, uh, from hip hinge to side bend with speed and complete rotation um, with direction. They would all understand those things, okay? So when certain flaws occur, I would, I would bring it back to, Okay, 
We got a lot of balls flared backside. What are the two main things that cause flare backside generally that deal with rules of rotation? Yes. Okay, coach, I think it's uh, head forward and um, standing up through the turn. You're exactly right. What are some things that cause your head going forward? If you extend your back leg while you're rotating, correct. What are some things that make you stand up in the turn? Um, lateness. Um, let's see. Again, head being forward. That would make you stand up because if your head's forward, you can't hold your, your side bend in. Um, maybe pitch location could be one. Okay, cool. All right. Guys, the next few things we're going to do is we're going to work on pitches down and away. What we're going to make sure we do is maintain the bend in the back leg with our head back over our back hip. And we're going to make sure our back shoulder extends for, for righties over the second baseman, for lefties over the shortstop. We're working down and away. Let's hit some line drives backside. Here we go. That's what I would do. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that's right, but that's what I would do. Sure. Like you said, you're I, assessing that problem that was wrong. And then here's your, here's the practice of those problems and why we were they were wrong. But here's the best part about that style of assessing and addressing, right? Every single player benefits from posture and balance and rotational speed work. Every single player. I don't care if you did it right. You still benefit from that, right? You, you benefit from being strong and athletic and explosive and balanced and disciplined with your vision and posture. You benefit from those things. You benefit from the feel work, which everybody loves, of feeling what it feels like to maintain the, the bend in your back knee. Every player benefits from it. Whether it's my eight-year-old who had a hitting lesson today from who has never had a hitting lesson from me. I don't coach him in baseball. Never have, never will. Uh, I coach his flag football team and I coach his basketball team. By, by the way, you're talking to the defending I-9, 9U coach of the year, sir. So if you have any basketball questions, I can, <laughs> I can answer you. I beat out two other coaches in the three-team league. So, you know, <laughs> it's big, big time. I, should, I wish I had it on my desk. I'd hold it up for you. Um, but, you know, I don't want to fight with him about baseball. And I certainly don't want to fight with him about hitting. And I certainly don't want to make my son un or any of my players uncoachable about hitting. I want to make them disciplined through their rules of rotation so they can take the hitting instruction they get from their coaches, translate it through those rules, and then execute better. Because every single coach listening to this and players, every single player listening to this, listen to what I'm about to say. Your coach wants you to do well and they want you to win. And the only way those two things aren't true is if you are a terrible person, or they are, and that's unlikely. Very true, and I think that's great. I, I think you know, it, it, you want people to hear that, you know. And I said that's it's it's a win-win for everyone, you know. It, it really is to 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 get them more success and everything like that. Can we dive into this? Because like, I, it's it's something I always talk to guys about, uh, and. Um, and you could you mention it earlier with the front foot, the front foot open, right? Because I think that's one something that um you know, you, it it's it's something you teach. And uh, when the front foot strides open, and what person would say is like just how you're able to to still let's say stay closed, like let's say your hips and things like that. Um, you know what was I guess the value of that, and like really how you teach that. Um, 
and 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 really because people just would that's where like people are, are really scared of that too you know i some a Baltimore fan too like eddie murray said like that you know if you're eddie murray's for eddie murray's front foot was literally he would start it open um you know so i mean just want to talk touch base about that you know you can you kind of talk about a little bit because i know um just really the basis of that and where you kind of started with that and um maybe how that's evolved Absolutely. So the main thing that I say to people who are very scared of opening their front foot and scared of flying open is one scared money don't make money. Okay. So if you're scared of making a mistake, then you're going to suck anyway. One. Okay. Now it's probably not how I open, but that's how I feel about life. Okay. How I really open. I say that at the end, how I really open is all right, cool. You want to keep your front foot closed. I totally agree. I assume that applies to throwing too, right? Right. So you can stay on your target. Right. And they say, well, yeah, I'm like, OK, well, show me how you would keep your front foot closed, field a ground ball and throw to first base. Show me how you do that. And when they throw, they always open their foot. Always. Always. And I'm like, whoa, to freeze. You open your foot. I'll even video it sometimes and say, well, what? no, 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 no. You got to keep that closed. You told me that to stay online, you've got to keep that closed. So how did you do that? And it's usually dead silence. I'm not going to do silence on an audio medium. That's not that's not a good look. So they they're confused. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. What do you want to do when you when you throw? Throwing is rotating over the top. Hitting is rotating under the bottom. Okay. How do you prepare your body to do that? Well, you want to have a bent front leg when you land when you throw, right? So that you could stiffen up your front side, block your rotation, stop your momentum, and rotate. Well, that's the same thing you want in hitting, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, okay. Also, show me how your knee works. And they, you know, do their knee like this, right? <laughs> right? And so I go, okay, now show me how your knee works with your foot closed. And it goes in like a, this weird half circle thing, and it usually kind of hurts. And I'm like, well, that's not how your knee works. So why do you want your knee to work like that when you're hitting? And they're like, well, I don't. I was like, then open your foot. And... I was like, what is opening your foot if you're trained to do it properly have to do with what your pelvis does? Nothing. But what does it have to do with what your pelvis can do when you start to rotate? Everything. You opening your front foot from inside your hip socket gives you 50 more degrees of freedom in your rotation through your pelvis. That's great. And there are guys on Twitter who literally want you to put your foot on a slide board and, and try to tear your groin when you hit. It's insane. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense with ground force. It doesn't make any sense with, with safe swings. You would never do that in a, in a squat rack or a weight room. You would never do it. I don't get it. I'm out. And I'm out because, because it doesn't follow the rules of rotation on ground in cleats. I don't care what you do on ice. I don't care what you do in midair. That ain't how you hit. You hit on the ground. You hit with ground force. And you can, if you can rotate your body properly off stable, uh, a stable grounded uh, front leg, and that's how you do it. How would you, so open, with being able to get a front, the front toe open, mm -hmm. right? How are you preparing guys to hit off speed? Perfect. Like take, take, great, take, no, take, absolutely take great it. question. Great question. So um, one of the things I think my hitters are best at 
is hitting off speed pitches when they train to turn properly for fastballs. There is a, there is no fast forward button in life. If you are looking for an off speed pitch and you get a fastball, you better take because you can't speed up and go. That doesn't exist. But if you're looking fastball and you get off speed, you know what you can do? You can pause. You can slow motion that stride. You can land and delay just that much. And then you can get your explosive turn off. So when we go through our progression, if you if you think about your own sons who you said use the rack, if you think about your progression, the first thing you do is you learn how to hinge. Then you learn how to stride with your front foot open, right? So they're getting to a bent front foot, bent front leg, front toe open, head over the back hip with a hinge. Every hitter I have does that, okay? When they're learning the progression. Remember, they're not hitting. They're just learning how to turn. So then what? You check your stride. You make sure it's right in the mirror, and then you turn. So while you were checking your stride, you were delaying your turn. So before I even teach you how to turn fast and blend it, we're actually teaching you how to hit all speed pitches. You just don't know it yet. And I compare it to the Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid, the real Karate Kid, not Jalen Smith, the real Karate Kid, uh, where Ralph Macchio, I think is his name, where they wax on, wax off, and they paint the fence, and they wax the car, right? And then he says, he, he like tries to hit him, right? And he can block all these different things because he's done these movements so many times. He didn't even know he was learning self-defense. These players don't even know they're learning how to hit change-ups because I wait till they ask me, what do I do on a change-up or a curveball, Chaz? Because I struck out at my practice. Then they're ready to learn. They're ready to find out. And I go, okay, well, just like I told you, what's the first thing you did when you when you got here? Well, I hit. I did my eval. I was like, you're cool. And your first lesson, not your eval, what'd you do? Well, I did the rack progression. I was like, let's walk over here. Show me your first movie of rack progression. All right, all right, cool. They show me, they show me a rack turn. I'm like, no, no, no. Show me your first move. What'd you do first? Oh, I did my stride. I was like, okay, do your stride. Great. You happy with that stride? Check it. They did. Okay, now turn. And they turn. And I say, you just did a hesitated turn, right? They're like, yeah. I was like, was it balanced? Yeah. Was it fast? Yeah. Was your posture disciplined? Yeah. Why can't you do that when a, when a ball's not there? Why can't you wait in that spot and then turn how you want when the ball gets there? And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so dumb. I don't know why I didn't do that. And then we go practice, and they rake off fastball changeup. They rake because they can look fast and delay and still turn fast instead of hover in the air or lengthen their stride or get their chest forward. They, they already have a solution that they know works because they've practiced it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before they ever needed it in my cage. That's the cool part. That's how you get them to buy in because when that lesson happens, when that question where they're like, well, what do I do about uh, changeups and curveballs? What do I do about off speed? And you show them that they already have a movement solution that they have practiced and already trust. It is a game changer because they're like, huh, I have done this hundreds of times already. All right, let's see if it works. And the first time they do it right, they get it. And they're like, man, 
I don't have to worry about that anymore. And it's like a thousand pounds gets lifted off them because they're, they're afraid of the all speed pitch and they're afraid of the outside pitch because they're told they're going to pull off and they're told they're not going to be able to wait. And we address those things as soon as they come up, but they have to come up from the hitter first. And I can't stress that enough. If you try to do it too early, you ruin it. Hitting, creating rotational skill and building rotational skill is like baking. You have to put the ingredients in at the right time or the cake doesn't rise. It's not like regular cooking. You can add stuff a little bit out of order and it's probably okay. Baking, you can't do it. If you make one mistake, you've ruined the cookies, you've ruined the cake, you'll ruin the hitter. Let them have a certain amount of correct failure, and then you can introduce stuff when it's time, and you will bake a masterful, masterful rotator. How has that changed, like, through two different hitters? Like, where do you see certain hitters maybe they need that off-speed talk earlier, you know, or maybe they, have, they don't need it at all? Uh, it, it all has to do with what, what, when you get them. So for instance, if I had a, uh, we work with a lot of the Duke baseball players, right? Like that's, that's pretty well known, right? We have a great relationship with coach Parr and the coaching staff. Uh, you know, we communicate with them at a very high level and uh, you know, their players, their players come get extra work from us all the time. That is open. Okay. So if let's say a new player, some kid, I don't know, came in tomorrow. Well, they open Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't, he doesn't, he's got to get his turn figured out as fast as possible. Right. He's got to go through his progression and then we can't really do much with him initially because he has to be comfortable with the swing he has. He, we can't be changing his hands and his load and his leg kick and all that kind of stuff. And we don't really do that anyway at baseball rebellion, regardless of what people think. We don't really do that. Um, you know, but if it, if that first weekend ends and he's like, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't get any at bats. You know, I'm I'm struggling in practice on on curveballs. I mean, my scouting report is out. You know, my pitchers, the older pitchers are just killing me. What do I do? We go right into hesitated turns. We go right into uh, rack turns off a curveball machine. We go right into mixed BP with the rack not hitting because he's already getting so much failure at practice. He can't handle more failure. That player that I'm describing right now, he's already reaching for help. He's already saying, I'm not doing enough. I, I need help. Help me, help me. I don't need to beat him up with a million, a million sawed-off curveballs. He already is getting that at practice. He's already having too much so much failure that he's questioning everything about his own career. That's why he's in the building in the first place. So you got to give him ways he can be successful on the exact pitch he can't hit. Hey, man, dude, you're timing that beautifully right now. That looks great. Take a video. Show him his chest is right where it needs to be when that ball's at contact. Show him how his load's on time. Show him how his, his leg kick is up on time. He's down early for the fastball. He's relaxing into the front side. Then his turn's really fast. Show him those success points. Then reintroduce hitting. And when he has failure, take it away. Go back to the success points. Go back to it then go right back to the hitting again. He needs to show himself or herself that the player can have success because the player is searching for feels that feel good because they are broken mentally already if they're in season begging for help from outside coaches.
Um, I was just thinking about you. Uh, just to clarify, when you talk about you throwing the curveball machine and he's just got the rack on, we'll say you're not talking with the bat. You're talking. He's literally just basically taking just rack turns. What? Yeah. What time ball is coming? Sure. So he's watching the ball, right? And he's showing himself he can low. And I'm saying he because I'm talking about Duke player. Uh, and this is a fictional Duke player. Yeah. Uh, he's struggling in practice. He's struggling in the game. He yeah. can't find timing. He's late on the fastball or on the curveball, right? Like when you feel worse, that's what's happening. Gen- I know I'll speak for myself. That was my whole college career. So I know exactly how that feels. Okay. It's terrible. But I didn't have a me. I didn't have somebody who could tell me, hey, Chaz, you're athletic enough to do this. Why don't you just do this? They'd be like, man, you just need to take more swings. Well, I took swings. I took swings. It didn't work. So that player comes in. He tells us what he's doing wrong. He shows us the video from the games or from practice where they video all kinds of stuff at these bigger schools, right? And so we say, okay, you know, you clearly have some rotational flaws. Let's get your rotation right. We do that first. We get his rotation right. And then the next thing you know, we're going through hesitation work in front toss with the rack. He's not hitting. Now, if we really have to move fast, we go straight from there to hesitation BP. If we really need to move fast, we go straight from there to hesitation curveball machine. Then we go straight from there to hesitation BP mix. He hasn't swung a bat yet. He has to prove to himself that he has a, a chance at a movement solution that can be on time for something that he's never been on time with. For something, a movement solution that can work when he feels totally broken. Then you're like, you know, they'll be, I really want to hit like, Hey man, I want you to hit too. How much hitting have you been doing lately? I've been hitting till my hand falls. My hands bleed. Okay. You've been doing extra work. Yeah. You've been going to cage late. Yeah. Well, buddy, if that was going to work, it would have worked by now. So let's stop doing the same thing. That's not working. Let's get your turn right on time. And that hits them hard. And they're like, dang, that's actually, that's kind of smart because I definitely am doing all the extra work I can possibly do and it and I'm not getting better at it. Okay. Okay. Let's try this. So you're getting buy-in. Now you're showing them video of their actual improvement. You're showing them they can be better. Then you reintroduce hitting on front toss again. Fastball changeup. They show they can do it. You show them how it feels in a very controlled, easy setting. All right, let's make it a little harder. Fastball changeup BP. You know what's coming. Fastball changeup mix. Hard slider machine. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay. And that's the thing. If you load a body properly, whether it's the weight room, the classroom, or the batter's box, you have a great chance to get good results. I don't care how many calculus tests my eight year old takes, he's not going to self organize his way to figuring out calculus. And people say, well, that's different. I don't know, man. I don't know if it is. How many people can hit in the ACC versus do do college level calculus? I bet there's a whole more people, a lot more people that can do college calculus than hit in the ACC. So I'm not sure which is harder. But what I'm telling you is this: if you constantly break a hitter's a hitter's confidence with with all failure, randomized training, and you never give them the light at the end of the tunnel that gives them a solution that they believe in, they will never succeed. Sure. I mean, that's all skill acquisition, too. I mean, like, you definitely have to have some block stuff in there. American, get to the random, you know, chaotic, can't play all inter-squads. 
For sure. Absolutely. Totally agree there. Um, Really great, Chaz. Really great. Appreciate it, man. Um, I'm sorry, man. Anytime. I, I, I would say, because one, I, I want to get to this, because uh, this is where me and Tom have kind of led off to, is is where we kind of start, was getting back to pulling the ball straight, not hooking it. Sure. Right? And getting a guy there. Um, You know, it's kind of where I, even start with my 10-year-old son, like it's how how do you like to build that, you know, from a guy who really hooks it to really try to, to keep them true, to train, to pull the ball true. Sure. So most of the time, uh, when you don't hook, when you when you pull the ball and have hook or pull it foul, you're stopping your rotation too soon. Your hands are away from your body, and then they they wrap around you too fast because your shoulders have stopped rotating too soon because your hips have stopped rotating too soon. That's generally the problem, especially in left-handed hitters. And right-handed hitters, it is possible to pull the true to pull the ball straight with your head forward and a little bit of a kickback, which is a scissor move, which is so exciting right now for Twitter. Um, it's possible to do that, but if you do that, you have to commit sooner because you're hitting the ball further out in front. So you don't get to have it both ways. You can't talk about depth and also talk about scissor and, and get your posture forward and out over the plate with your head forward. You can't do both, so you have to choose. So if you want your players to commit early, that's one way to do it. I think a better way is to keep the head back, learn the rules of rotation, and get your back shoulder to, to turn farther before contact. That's only possible if your pelvis decelerates slightly later after more rotation. And when you understand that, it's easier for you to keep your head back and side bend better and rotate up out of side bend better, and that gets the ball to pull truer in, in the air. If you watch a guy like Ryan Mountcastle hit or Mark Canna hit, these are two guys that I've known for quite some time that have been, you know, consistent with, with our communication and our work. Um, Mark more on the communication side because he, he lives so far away. But when I talk to them and I watch them hit and I watch how complete and fast their rotation is and how well they're able to hold their body over the plate and rotate – now, Ryan does it a little better than Mark. Mark gets away with some scissors sometimes, um, which, again, he's the man in the arena. If that's what he does. That's what he does. That doesn't mean that I'm going to sit here and say that it's optimal. I'm going to say that it works for him, and I love that guy, and I'm happy for him. You know, And, and if I met with him, I would say, hey, man, if you keep your head back and get that side bend a little bit better, I think you're going to hit that ball better. You're not going to have to commit as early, blah, blah, blah. Right? So – you know, when I saw, talk to guys about pulling the ball in the air, it's always they stop rotating too soon. Not that they're rotating too much, which is what everybody says. It's not that they're it's they're, they're usually not pulling off. They're usually panicking on the inner half because they don't feel comfortable with it because they don't have a good solution for it. So they they try everything they can just to not be late and survive instead of thrive because you should be dreaming about inside pitches like uh, the kid in the sandlot dreamed about Wendy Peppercorn. Like that's where you're going to make your money. And that's where you're going to be able to put somebody on a poster and make some scout go, whoa, I saw this kid take 92 and turn it around and hit over the scoreboard. You know how many times somebody has to see you hit if you hit a bunch of uh, six-hole ground ball singles backside to, before they decide that you're going to be able to play in their game, on their team at the next level? A lot. A lot. You got to go three for four, three times before they go, wait a minute. I, 
I feel like this kid always gets a hit. Let me look back. You put somebody on a poster a couple times with your bat, you make loud noises, you got a shot. Sure. Well, like, you asked about time, man. I tell you what, see, this stop, so it just goes, man. It just goes. Um, from all the things that we have gone through, and again, I appreciate you diving into things and how you get those things done. Um, shoot, man, is there anything that you feel like you want to cover? Anything else that you feel like we kind of left out? I just want to make sure that everybody really understands uh, this part about, about me and my business. We don't want to fight with you about hitting. Like, there's thousands of people who know more about hitting than I do. Thousands. I totally agree with that. But as far as baseball, softball goes, I just don't think there's that many that have studied rotation the way that I have. And I promise you that if you work on your rotational skill, you can apply rotational skill rules of rules of rotation to any swing theory you want, and you will be able to do it better and faster. And if you can swing faster or quicker, you can decide later, you can see the ball longer, and you can make a more informed swing decision often. Not every time, because nobody's perfect, but more often. And you can swing at less bad pitches and swing at more good pitches because doubles and home runs are thrown. They are not hit. There's a maximum opportunity for every pitch. Middle, middle fastballs can be hit a mile. Down and away sliders that break off the plate super late, you're lucky to touch them foul. So the opportunity on certain pitches to do damage is higher. I want you to be able to maximize the opportunity by rotating later and greater with better posture, vision, and timing. And I, I feel like Baseball Rebellion and the Rebels Rack specifically has shown that it can do that for you. And I would absolutely love to show you how you can practice turning so that you can make your hitting practices every time your players swing a bat more impactful and more positive for them going forward, however you choose to teach them to swing it. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I know one thing, man, I just, just thinking about this, um, training vision, you know, that's something that you you're bringing in with vision too. Yes. Um, how are you, how, what are some things like simple thing? Again, we can always talk about all the technology thing you might have, but like simple things like a vision that you're trying to help train. The number one article that I ever wrote was called the head, right headlight drill. And if you've got a youth kid, if you've got kids and, uh, you got a T in your, in your, in your garage or your basement. Uh, go to Home Depot, buy a little headlight uh, like you'd use to like be a plumber or clean out your crawl space or whatever. Buy a little headlight, put it on your kid, uh, turn out the lights, turn that headlight on and have them light up the ball just with the headlight on and have them go through their turns with a rack while the lights on the ball. Keep the ball bright the whole time. Then once they can do that, have them do it with a swing. Keep the ball bright the whole time. If the light's on the ball, they're going to swing well. They're going to have vision, balance, and posture discipline every single time. And we even have done clinics where guys do completely dark facility headlight front toss. It is a wild look. I bet it is. It is wild. And they don't even believe they can do it at first. But we show them off the tee, and we have them toss the ball to each other and catch it to try to practice actually turning their neck. That is such an underrated thing with hitting. And don't tell me you can't see the ball when you hit it. I know you can't. 
but you also can't turn as fast as you want with your neck turned to the left as a or turned to the right as a left-handed hitter because the way your spine works, your neck needs to be centered if you want to get your best opportunity to rotate off. So turning your neck back to a more neutral position has nothing to do with hitting. It has to do with getting your best turn off. Now you asked how we train vision specifically. That's my most favorite way to do it, but that's hard to do with a facility with skylights in it. It's also hard to do when everybody else wants to have the lights on when they're hitting. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a great drill for you to do, you know, with your son or daughter in your, in your garage or in your cage, whatever, if you got one at your house, um, somewhere like more of a one-on-one setting, the way that we train it now is we use game sense. Uh, Dr. Peter Fatty is a buddy of mine and, I love game sense. We had win reality and uh, frankly, I didn't really like it. I liked, uh, I like game sense much, much better. I think that one, it's real video of real pitchers and it won't make you motion sick, uh, which virtual reality does do for some people makes them like virtual reality sick. I don't know what that's called. Uh, so I'm sorry, really butchering that, but I know I had one hitter have to stop her lesson completely because she got motion sick from the VR. I felt terrible because they drove an hour and a half to do two lessons and we were 15 minutes in and she was throwing up. Mm. I felt awful. I obviously refunded their money. So for those people who think I just sell snake oil, I gave it back. But anyway, um, you know, the, the reality is game sense is something you can do in, on your phone, on your tablet. Um, we actually use our hit tracks to do it sometimes was, well, uh, we had a virtual combine the other day and we put the game sense test into the combine. So College coaches can see, you know, hitting metrics, weightlifting metrics, pitching metrics, but also uh, the same vision test that pro athletes use with a lot of pro organizations. Uh, and we can quantify and identify, are they good at pitch location? Are they good at pitch type? And how overall good are they are at those two things combined? Um, it's kind of like an SAT, you know, reading uh, English, math, and then total score. Well, we can now, from that information, we can then grind on the, the things that matter with how they're looking at, how they're seeing the ball, how they're identifying things because hitting is very visual. And I see a lot of things on Twitter where, where there people are getting a go cue and a lot of things about launch quickness. There's a $10,000 bet right now on Twitter about who can get to the ball the fastest with a verbal go. Well, unfortunately that's an absolute garbage test because that uses the wrong part of your brain. So if you're looking for verbal cues or auditory cues to decide when to hit, man, you're looking in the wrong spot. Because there's been deaf minor league baseball players, but there sure as hell haven't been blind ones. So you got to make sure that you're training the right way in ways that make sense instead of just the way somebody tells you to do it. That's why I like Game Sense because it makes sense and it's actual video that you can see. You can quantify it, you can track it, and you can do it on any mobile device. Um, no, I don't work for Game Sense. Yes, I really like Game Sense. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Um... Cool, man. I'm just thinking about all the way because I love timing too. I think timing is huge, and and it's and that's the old adage of what pitching is. You know what I mean? Uh, but but timing is so such a thing where, um, and yeah, I guess you kind of touched base about it with the hesitation. I mean, that's kind of with it within your timing. Um, the the pause or not the pause is really kind of like your timing. But uh, do you have other sets of things that you'd like to do to train better to have guys be on time? Sure. One of the things I like to do best with timing is actually. Uh, you know, rack drills with multiple players at once. So for instance, let's say you have a team with um, 12 players, four left-handed uh, hitters and eight are uh, right-handed hitters. Okay. Yeah. So what you can do is you can line four righties and two lefties up in two different cages and have them time pitches. 
So I call it the timing waterfall. So essentially your, your front of the line is probably 12 feet in front of home plate. So they're seeing quote unquote faster pitches, right? Less time, but they're still seeing them from a thrown ball or a machine. Then the guy next to them is slightly in a little bit so they can see and slightly back. Then there's a guy right in front of the batter's box, right-handed. And then there's a guy in the batter's box, righty. Well, there's lefties there too, because no one's hitting. So no one's in danger. So you can have six to six guys training at one time on timing. Talk about efficiency. Mm-hmm. And then you just, you just cycle them through. So your lefties in the front, your lefties in the back, your righty goes from the, from the batter's box to one up. The guy in the front goes all the way to the batter's box and you just cycle through. And it's, it's so helpful because you can have, Think about how much time and effort and energy that saves from the pitcher. Like you're getting six swings or turns per pitch. Right. And based on location of the player and location of the pitch, that adjusts when the players actually turn. So if you throw the ball, a curveball away to a righty, okay, that's a curveball into a lefty. So the two guys in the batter's box, the lefty should turn before the righty. Mm. So there's layers to it. And you can see it. If you have a coach who knows what they're looking at, right? You can't see everything from every hitter. I understand. Well, you can't see every lift from every player in a weight room either. And you can't see every swing in your stations either. So before you panic that you can't adjust everybody at once, you never could. So don't worry about it. You pick one or two guys, you have a focus, probably the guys in the back of the box, in the batter's box, right? But let's say you have a kid who's horribly late all the time. You know where you put him? You put him in that second spot and you leave him there. You make him see the ball from as far back as you can, but force him to turn sooner. And you go straight from that second spot. You never let him get to the box. You go right into hitting because you've changed his perception of when to turn. So then he's more likely to turn sooner when he hits because he's been practicing turning sooner. He's been cued on turning sooner. He hasn't had the failure of being late again. God, that didn't work because they evaluate every hit regardless of what you say. So take the hitting away. Take the hitting away to your timing with the rack. Do your timing. Do your timing with posture drills. Do your timing intelligently and efficiently. And if guys are still struggling with their timing after that, well, there's some that aren't. And I guarantee you, if you don't let them hit till they get their timing better with the rack, they're going to be really invested on getting that timing right so they can get that bat back in their hands. And a lot of coaches are really scared uh, to, to lose one or two days of batting, one or two days of hitting a ball in the, in the course of a season because they think they're going to get behind. What I would tell you is I think you're, you're getting ahead. Because you're giving your players the opportunity to have more good swings more often. And if usually you take 60% good swings, but because you did this posture and timing work, you're taking 80% good swings. And, you know, you're 10 weeks into practice, you're 10 days into practice and you've already caught up. You're already made up all your time from the first two days you took off to do posture and timing work. So now every other day you're getting further ahead of the team that cut corners and just hit extra. It's a, it's a, it's low hanging fruit. It's, it's a market inefficiency that coaches could take advantage of. It's just a little bit scary to put that bat down. Coach Chaz Pippett.
just um, giving us some great, great talk on his rotational skills. Um, I just really like that where, and like we talk about this off the air and about how I think that is where he can really show is like his program and what they're doing is translating through multiple swings, right? Is because, and he's trying to get it to where it's like a sprint work. It, this is, this is the exercises that we do before. This is basically movement prep. Okay. Guys do movement prep all the time. Um, you know, we'll go do high knees and skip jumps or hurdles. And these are just movement prep where I think that's where, you know, Coach Pippen, as we were discussing, that's where he's really trying to get. He's really just, and he said, really just trying to allow them to get better quicker. Uh, and by having these kind of movement prep, uh, rotational exercises to allow them people to move better. And if they move better, they're going to swing better. And they have better athleticism, and they can unlock the athleticism inside their swing. And that's really what he's trying to do. Um, maximizing opportunities. Because um, he can apply these rules of rotation to any swing. Uh, is what he's trying to tell. But it does. It takes a disciplined eye. It takes an understanding of those of those things uh, for, for being able to do, those th- to do that and to recognize them. I love that waterfall turning to, to at the end, just being able to recognize that. Guys are going to – guys, are especially early in the season, I know we're going to be able to uh, – time pitches up. We're going to sit and like, do shadow – we're going to watch bullpens. Uh, for, as a hitter standpoint, you got a rack in your hand. Uh, you know, you're taking those things, and that's how you're getting your timing down. Like, uh, you're being able to do those things, and that's really um, a great way to do that. But, yeah, being able to have one, two, three, four, five guys in front of you uh, where you can kind of see that waterfall of, like, that's all timing, where, like, you can see the guy first in front of me. I can, he swings, 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 and then that's that, that's a pretty neat neat little drill there. Typically, you only got one guy at a time, the other guy's just waiting inside. But like, no, actually, let's actually put them in. And even think of, a, think of a chance of what that does for, like, even a visual for the pitcher uh, to really just kind of focus them into, like, you know, that, that, that area where you can almost make it like a V right down to the catcher. Um, you know, I think it's a great, a great touch. Let alone what the what the hitters are going to see uh, from that. You know, and having right and left left-handed pitchers uh, hitters in there. Um, you know, again, a little difference. You know, people might not be liking all that, and you know, but again, it, people talk about being getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. That is a pretty uncomfortable thing. And uh, but I, I really like that the uh, the headland swinging. You know, those are really good things of just. You have a good head movement. You know, people talk about the good head movement a lot. Uh, like I said, these are rotational things, and I, that's where I really took for him, and, and I share with him as I, I think that's where we're at, is like it is what he's teaching is like the movement prep. And, and it's using those rules, his rules of rotation to apply to any swing. So um, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was great talking to him. Like I said, great, great coaching, great – Mentor, good friend, guy I love is Tom Eller, and, and Tom um, has really put me on a chaz. And you know his 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 success spoke for itself, and what he was doing on the offensive side, and a lot of that was through what Chaz was doing. So uh, feel free to reach out to him. Look at baseballrebellion.com. Uh, check out his book, Learn to Turn, uh, and all his hitting, all his hitting uh, training advice uh, is right there on baseballrebellion.com. So. 
uh, all his information, check him at his facility, as well as how to reach him through email is on BaseballRebellion.com. So uh, if there's anything else that you can do, if there's anything I do for you, feel free to reach out. Again, here we are at episode 101. I want to thank you for keeping us here. Thank you for joining us here on episode 101. I cannot believe we're coming up on two years here. And uh, those episodes are coming out shortly. But again, thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Thank you for the support. And until next week, keep getting better.